actually, I could show this in a video, like a minute and a half, instead of it taking me like two hours to try and write it out and take all these photos. Hello, hello, one and all, and welcome to episode 31 from Pot and Cloche Garden Podcasts. I'm Joff Elfie, a gardener, freelance writer and garden speaker from Gloucestershire in the UK. This podcast is produced with the help of my lovely sponsor, Genus Gardenware. The clothes gardeners wear have to work for all activities and in all conditions, and this is what Genus Gardenware are absolute experts at. Have a look at their range of beautifully designed and highly practical clothing by visiting genus.gs. In this episode, I talked to Liz Zorab about her life and her new book, The Season's Gardener. It's a book about Liz's personal gardening journey and the rhythm and patterns of her gardening year. It explores seasonal harvests and how the vegetable garden fits into the wider context of the gardening landscape, including weather, microclimates, water cycles, light levels, and the seasons. The book provides hundreds of practical tips, how-to guides, observations, and inspiration for beginners and experienced gardeners. Unlike many gardening books that follow a calendar year, this book starts in autumn when harvesting is at its absolute peak and focuses on the abundance of each month and when we enjoy different fruits, vegetables, herbs and flowers. This book is a journey of experimentation and learning that will inspire readers to grow tastier food and enjoy the experience of gardening. I am with Liz Zorab from By The Farm. Morning Liz. Good morning. Thank you morning. for inviting me. Well, that's all right. Now, do you remember when we last spoke? Oh, back in oh. November, maybe. Yeah, where, where were we? We were at the Savoy Hotel at the Garden Media Guild Awards. We were. Now, you won a very special award and uh, we ran outside because I had to record your little thank you video. But mm. what, can you tell everybody what you uh, won on that day? I won uh, the Garden Media Guild uh, Award for best uh for blog or vlog of the year that's it yeah that's fantastic um is that your first win or have you have you won awards there before that's the first time it's the first yeah. time i've won an award so yes that was uh very exciting it was a slightly surreal experience um because <laughs> i was so utterly convinced that, that someone else was going to win it <laughs> there were two two friends i thought well it'll be one of one or other of their blogs because they are so good they're just such good blogs um but i was just having a whale of a time with my friends on the table we were on we were i on saw your table Liz. table at the back i saw your table i heard your table you were having fun that's for sure we, were. we had a really good time um and so you know i kind of wasn't expecting <laughs> <laughs> and sort of the moment that but my name was called out, uh, Steph Hafferty, who was sitting next to me, kind of grabbed me and gave me this massive hug. And I was like, why is she hugging me? Why is she hugging me? <laughs> I think you were oh, having an out-of-body experience, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was absolutely wonderful. Yeah. What, well, what a treat. Well, Liz, there was a reason uh, you were there, of course, because the last, oh, I guess, eight years have, must have been a bit of a whirlwind for you. Now, if we can sort of just go back to about 2015, you, you had a, don't take this the wrong way, you had a proper job then, didn't you? I did have a proper job. Yeah, absolutely had a proper job. So I uh, actually had a proper job for about 20 years or well, maybe like 30 years actually um so i'd spent a very long time working with charities in the community sector 
And then immediately uh, before I started doing what I'm doing now, uh, I worked for a professional rugby club in their marketing and liaison, which was, I've got to say, probably one of the best jobs I've ever had. It was so much fun. It was just so much fun. It was great. Um, And while I was there, I got really ill. Uh, And uh, as I came out of that illness, I realised I wasn't going to be going back to work in a proper job again. And that I would need to find a way to make some sort of economic input into our household that also allowed me to work around my illness and managing that. So you were in Monmouthshire at that point? Mm, Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So you obviously found, uh, well, found your passion for for gardening in the the way that you do now. Um, And... Was it about 2017 you decided to start doing the blog and the, and the videos? When we moved to uh, our house in Monmouthshire in, oh, I can't remember, it was late 2015, early 2016, late 2015, that sort of time. For the first year, I wrote a blog. I wrote a blog, not quite every day, but, you know, very regularly. But I found myself trying to describe what I was doing in the garden and how I was setting it up. And I was having to take so many photographs to explain each thing. And they, they were getting more and more complicated and technical as, as, a, as a written blog. I just thought, actually, I could show this in a video in like a minute and a half instead of it taking me like two hours to try and write it out and take all these photos. So I started doing a few videos to go onto my blog. And then I thought, actually, I quite like making videos. I didn't like being in front of the camera, but I did quite like making videos. So, so I moved from. Uh, blogging to vlogging did um, you have did you have certain skills with video or was it very raw was it just your phone oh you know, my phone uh, very raw never made videos before uh they show it shows that i'd never made them before um but it was <laughs> that thing of i'm just going to learn i'll learn how to do it uh it didn't occur to me to use youtube to learn how to make videos i just did it by sheer I can't do this. I'll press a load of buttons and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it, it obviously worked. But I think that <laughs> that that a video a day, or virtually a video a day. I mean, that really um, got you out there. Um, but also, I mean, it it now means you've got what over eight hundred mm. videos for people to watch, haven't you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, uh, and uh, more importantly, of course, it also means you've you've you've. Uh, Notched up what over three million views? Is a that year. right? Yeah, about, it's yeah. about three million a year now. That is amazing, isn't it? I mean, uh, <laughs> to think to, <laughs> to think back to 20, uh, 2015 when you, when you know you weren't well and your life changed, and now and now you're doing this. It's, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But you know, we then move on. <clears throat> of course, the, the, the next the, the next thing that happened is you uh, you write a book, your first book, Grounded. I did. So uh, I was approached by permanent publications and asked if I would write the story of developing uh, our garden at our last home. They'd spotted you, had they, online? They had. They had spotted me on YouTube. So they were regular uh, YouTube video watchers. So they knew what this was. They knew I could tell a story. They knew um, that I was kind of comfortable with what I created and and that I had done that whole process. And they kind of watched the garden grow as as I had grown. And they asked me to write that story. Uh, so, you know, incredibly flattered. I kind of had to think about a microsecond before I went, yes, 
<laughs> say, that say yes, worry later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I went home going, I can't believe it. I've been offered a book deal. Uh, how do I do this? And so I sat around for about three months thinking, I don't know what to do. Uh, I know I need to write a synopsis. I don't know what a synopsis is or <laughs> how to write one. It's yeah, a plant. I, it's a type of plant, isn't it? Could well be. You know, <laughs> it could have been. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. So, uh, very luckily, one of my friends, uh, who is already an author, uh, sat down with me and said, "But right, this is what a synopsis is. Let's just talk at me and tell me what it is you want to write about." Um, so they helped me put together a synopsis and and get over that initial hurdle of I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and and then in the end, it was quite straightforward to write it. I wrote it in quite a short time frame, um, like 18 weeks. And that is Yeah, that's amazing. I Intense. Didn't to, I didn't need to do any research. I wrote from my heart. I wrote from my experience. I was writing about my experience. So there was no, you know, I need to go and fact check this. I was there doing it. Yeah. So, you know, it was yeah. about what I was doing. So it made it, that made it very easy. The bit that took quite a long time was finding the photographs. Because when we moved there, we didn't think we must photograph everything really beautifully because I might write a book about this one day. So. <laughs> <laughs> so going back through and luckily mr j my husband is really good about taking photographs and then cataloging them so he actually just had a store of photos whereas i take them and i delete them off my phone really quickly uh because i take so many and it's like oh yeah get rid of those then because yes. i'm taking the next thing um, <laughs> so but he had saved all those photographs so he had this this massive store of photos for me to look back over the previous five years to select select photos to use uh, we're, we're condensing time you've written this this book 2021 comes along you're getting a bit bored you know you've written a book you've it's changed your life you think oh no let, let's move home so you, you you up sticks don't you and and move further uh to the west it's uh, to, to Carmarthenshire what brought that to, what brought that about so one of the one of the things about our previous site it was absolutely beautiful it was down near the river seven and we were in between the two seven bridges so when you stood in the garden there were these spectacular views but if we were in between the two seven bridges, it actually meant we were in between two motorways. And the constant, as, the constant roar. There was yes. a constant roar of traffic, and it became in increasingly loud as there was more and more traffic. And when the tolls went off the seven bridges, uh, all I can say is the area became like Little Bristol. There were so many commuters moved in, so that meant the roar of traffic started really early in the morning. And went on till late in the evening. And it just became increasingly difficult to make a video without trying to shout over the top of the traffic. Added to which, I really had a hankering and had always had a hankering for having some larger livestock, larger than chickens, ducks and turkeys. Uh, I wanted some four-legged livestock. Um, so we kind of said, well, if we're going to do it, it's kind of we need to do it now or, or never because... We are soon going to be of an age where we won't want to move. As it turns out, I don't think it matters what age we are. We really don't want to go through that process of moving. doesn't mean we won't ever again, 
but good grief, that's hard work. <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> of course, it, it, it does make you um, look at your belongings and your life and decide what can be edited out of it, doesn't it? You know, that, are we going to bother putting that on the, on the lorry or, or we, can we do without it? Mm. Or, or are you not like that? Did you put it all in a cardboard box thinking we'll sort it at the other um, end? No, we, <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, we got rid of an awful lot of stuff that we knew we wouldn't need. Um, but because we were coming to a bigger place, so in some ways we needed kind of almost everything we had. So I actually yeah. dug up plants and potted up plants and we brought up four van loads, maybe five van loads of plants with me because uh, we have a bigger space here. So we had 0.8 of an acre, four-fifths of an acre at the at the last place. Um, and uh, we're using four and a half acres here. Uh, and about half of that I'm using to garden. Okay, yeah. The other half uh, we're using for larger livestock. Uh, so, uh, so it's been an interesting, <laughs> it's, it's that whole thing. We started all over again, uh, with a blank canvas. This was your I, fifth, fifth garden, wasn't it? It was yeah, yeah from scratch. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I have only ever once, uh, taken over an established garden. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, you, you, you say that with each, each move, you get that little bit closer to your, uh, your perfect garden. Yes. Have, you, have you pretty well got there now? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> next time, next time. No, it's not even that. It's just that my, uh, my interpretation of perfection changes as time goes on. So, uh, you know, at one point we would have all wanted, I'm saying all, you know, put that in inverted commas, you know, we'd have all wanted a, a perfect lawn with island beds and little heathers and and dwarf conifers. Well, some of us never wanted dwarf conifers, but you know that sort of thing. Yeah. Um. And now I think I would much rather have a much more naturalistic looking garden, so much more wildlife elements in it. Um. And it doesn't take any necessarily any less work. Um. Or at least not in the setting up stage, but after that. Uh, the the only work required is the appreciation that happens in it. Yes. Now you you mentioned wildlife there because you actually garden um, like sort of using permaculture, don't you? Yes. Uh, for those that don't know, could you broadly explain what permaculture is all about? Yes. So permaculture is is very simply it's a design system. It's a design mechanism that you can use on any area of your life. Um, but it's more more commonly known of, as using uh, on your land. And it's a way to work with nature. And it's, a, it's basically it's a set of guidelines that say, if you apply this to your, uh, your area, this, these, these guidelines to your area, you're going to have a piece of land that's going to work in harmony in nature, with nature and with you. Yes. So it's a great way to, to look at what you've got and to make the best of it whilst making the best of it for everyone and everything that lives within it. Yeah. Now, does it encompass things like organic growing? Does it involve, uh, encompass uh, no-dig gardening? Absolutely. So there are masses of those organic practices, no-dig practices, uh, working with nature practices that can be used within your permaculture design. 
But when you don't go outside to do a bit of permaculture, uh, which I've, <laughs> but it is very much, it's, it is like a toolkit is the answer. It's a toolkit that allows you to then decide how you're going to do things in your space. Yes. Yeah. Now, I'm just going to jump back a little bit because there's something you mentioned in the book um, that was of interest to me. But back in the day, um, I think we did you live in Gloucestershire for a while? I did. Yes. Yes. Now, I'm in Gloucestershire, but you were a frequent visitor to Barnsley House. Mm. For those that don't know, that's the former home of Rosemary Veery, who was sort of the the doyen of gardening in the sort of 70s, 80s and early 90s. Um, I worked there for about five years, but you were a frequent visitor there and you were quite inspired by certain aspects of it, weren't you? Oh, I was inspired by almost everything except for the lawn. The lawns, yes. (laughs) Okay, so I I never hide this. I don't really like grass. It's I find it unproductive, um, but takes an awful lot of maintenance. And if I'm going to spend my time in the garden, I either want to do something that is very gentle, like sitting in the garden and observing, or if I am having to do activities in the garden, I want them to be something that's going to be productive in a way that I then find pleasing, either flowers or food. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, exactly. And and I think that's what, in some ways, inspired you at Barnsley House is in the little posture at the back. There was mm. that combination, wasn't there, of, of flowers and food um, grown in an orna- ornamental sort of French manner. But uh, there was that mix. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. So that was I was my have been very heavily influenced by uh, Rosemary Vary's garden. Let, let's get back to some practical horticulture. Um, composting, something I'm sure you're passionate about. And you mentioned cold composting and hot composting. Can you just explain the difference between the two? Absolutely. So cold composting is a slower process. And basically, you just take anything that can be composted, throw it into a heap and leave it. You might cover it a bit to to stop too much rain getting in. Basically, you're just going to leave it to very slowly break down. And hot composting uh, is a a more, uh, it's less passive. So it's a more active (laughs) composting system, whereby you're uh, carefully selecting your ingredients that are going to go together. You're breaking them down to small pieces. So you're going to put them through a chipper or chop them up and you're going to do this mixture and you're going to add water and you're going to turn it to keep the oxygen levels up and make sure it's got the right amount of moisture and it will heat up to the right temperature uh, to kill off weed seeds and will break down and that and that process is actually because of the heat it generates it it becomes a much quicker process to break everything down and they're not neither one or the other is right they're just different ways of doing the same thing yes um and you know cold cold composting you're not likely to break down uh weed seeds or any seeds Uh, so when you then use it you might find you've got all sorts of seeds popping up all over your garden which for me is brilliant. I'm very happy with that. Um, other people don't want lots of volunteer plants popping up everywhere. Um, and so hot composting might be a, a better way forward for them. I've jumped ahead so much in time that I haven't made it clear that we've moved on from your previous book, Grounded, to your <laughs> new book, have I? I haven't mentioned it. Your, your lovely new book called The Seasons Gardener, which is really why we're here and why, why we're talking. Um, there's we obviously we can't talk about every vegetable you grow, but one that I know will appeal to a lot of people that you mention in in, in your book is is perennial veg. 
Mm. I mean, it sounds fantastic, doesn't it? You pop it in once and it, it gives back forever. Yeah. And, you know, not necessarily quite forever, but for a longer period. So, it, you know, perennial veg are, are going to be two or more years. Um, and some of them are very short-lived perennials and others really do go on for a very long time. So what and are we talking about? What what are the options on the perennial veg side? What, what so do you grow? I, there are a huge number. There are thousands of perennial vegetables. But one of the things I've discovered is the reason that so many are not as popular as they could be is because they're not necessarily terribly tasty to a lot of people or they're just actually quite awkward to grow and need a lot of space. But there are some that are absolutely wonderful. And there are some that we know we know really well and we're really familiar with, like asparagus and rhubarb. So, you know, there are some that we all that kind of we think of in as, as you know, just part of our general gardening that are in fact perennial veg. Uh, but I really like uh, there are some perennial uh, there's a perennial kale called Taunton Dean kale. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Never heard of it until I spotted it in your book. It's an amazing one. It, I'm not going to say it's sweet, but it's sweeter than the other perennial kales. But it is a bit of a bruiser. So it will grow to three metres high and three metres across without batting an eyelid. It's, you know, it's tough as old boots. will go through uh, very windy sites, cold sites. It actually prefers cool to hot um, and it's so easy to propagate. It is literally snap a piece off, remove the bottom leaves, push it into the ground and wait a few weeks. Wow. And, and it's very happy to do that right through the winter as well. You could grow a hedge of it, couldn't you? Absolutely. You can grow a hedge of it. And, <laughs> and in my book, I actually show a photograph of, of a hedge uh, that I took at Incredible Vegetables down in Devon. And it is it's just amazing. So I am going to be growing a hedge here because I just think it's so attractive as a hedge. <laughs> now, mentioning hedges is, is useful because it brings me on to my next thought. You're, you used to be low down. You're higher up now. You mm -hmm. must be quite exposed to stronger winds and you're near, near the coast, so you must get coastal winds. Do you, have you had to install any form of windbreaks or do you, do you just live with it? So our last site was actually more windy than this site because we were closer to the coast than we are here. However, we are high up and we are kind of in the middle of a wind farm, uh, which should have given me some clues when we were looking <laughs> that this might be quite a windy site. <laughs> so I've done exactly what I did in the last place. I've started to in, uh, install hedges. I'm using raised beds and I will raise up their sides to, to protect plants from the wind. And I'm doing quite a lot of growing in double rows. So you've got one row that's kind of much thicker uh, on the windward side and then something that, that is slightly more tender on the, uh, the leeward side. Yes. So I'm doing everything that I, I know how to do to kind of put in some wind breaks and in some wind barriers. But the answer is we are, we are on a north-facing, uh, three-quarters of the way up a mountain site, and it's windy. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Do you use, in permaculture, do you use any form of protection like polytunnels or greenhouses? Well, you can do. It's all yeah. part of your, if that's part of your plan, uh, there's no reason that you shouldn't do. Um, but they're also not, and they're not an obligation. So I really okay. love, I love polytunnels. I love the, I love that enclosed space. I like greenhouses for starting seedlings. 
and growing tender plants because they just, I think they hold the heat better than a polytunnel. But I just love that kind of the feeling of being uh, enclosed in a space that's kind of windproof, but is still kind of only just a bit warmer. In the winter, polytunnels don't get hugely much warmer than the outside air. You just haven't got the wind chill uh, factor. Uh, And I just, I find them really nice places to work in. And it gives you the option, doesn't it, on wet days, on freezing cold days, on snowy days, you have somewhere to go to get on with things if you want to. Yes, absolutely. You know, you but you do need to wrap up warm because, as I say, they're not really any warmer <laughs> than outside. <laughs> no, no, that, 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 that's very true. Um, so we, we've created this amazing garden. Uh, you know, the, everything's growing strongly. We get to August, September. And we've got this glut. Ah, what, what, what do we do with it? How, how do you manage when, you, when you've got all, this vegetable, veg, all these vegetables looking at you saying, <laughs> pick me? So one of the things I talk about in the book is how uh, over that autumn period, the garden basically moves from the garden into the kitchen bit by bit in the form of, of harvesting. And so I do, uh, I do masses of... Um, storing food in the freezer i do pressure canning um i i don't dry stuff there is i mean you could there's no reason why you couldn't use a dehydrator for storing an awful food and i don't because i don't like the the texture of dried food when it's been rehydrated that's just a personal you know a personal thing so um i but i do i do freeze a lot and i do it in two ways so i will do ready-made meals so I've got ready-made meal, meal, ready meals for the winter. But then I'll also just store ingredients ready to make more meals. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then anything that I can leave in the ground, I do leave in the ground to harvest throughout the winter. Because otherwise, there would just be no space in my kitchen, no space in the pantry. Um, and, so, and there's just a whole load of stuff that is better after it's had a bit of frost yes yeah and what are we talking there sprouts uh parsnips things like that sprouts parsnips yeah. uh, even kale yeah better uh, after a bit of frost so uh yeah so i leave in the garden what i can um and also when i run out of energy i you know i leave it there because uh there's no point in busting a gut to get stuff done and then you know making yourself exhausted for the whole winter do you grow um do you grow herbs there so yes i grow herbs i grow in my vegetable garden i grow a combination of vegetables herbs and fruit so there's a it's a a polyculture in every bed um with a you know just a whole mixture of plants i don't i'm not one of those gardeners where you're not going to come to my garden and go oh yes here's a bed of sprouts here's a bed of onions they're all jumbled in together they're planted wherever there's a space when I come, you know, oh, this is ready to plant. Where's the space? Yes. Um, and my and my reasoning behind that is that if a pest gets to a bed with a monoculture in it, it's going to rip through that bed uh, and inf- and in- infest all of the plants in it. Whereas if it if it, if a carrot root fly comes along and there's two carrots and 20 onions and three cabbages and some sprouts and you know they're, they're going to get confused about where they're going and they're not going to pick up the scent of, of the carrots and like you know likewise with everything else the hope is that it 
fools the pests a little bit. Yeah, I suppose what you're doing by having these mixed beds is almost like a form of companion planting, isn't it, in some ways? It's like extreme companion planting. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, I know when I was working at Barnsley House, we had productive gardens at the back to supply the kitchen. We were a bit more traditional in that we grew in rows. We were organic, but we grew in rows. But how I dealt with it then was to, I think every... Every five rows, I put in a row of um, calendulas, for instance, or, or yeah. a row of herbs, something that would flower to, mm. to hopefully bring in the pests, etc. So I certainly wasn't extreme uh, growing like you, but uh, <laughs> it was in my mind. And bearing in mind, this was 20 years ago, you know, mm. we, we weren't quite as well we weren't i mean generally speaking um horticulture we hadn't moved quite as far forward as you're describing now um it, it existed but uh yes. oh, it, absolutely it, but... certainly um but it, it hadn't caught on should i say um people hadn't perhaps seen quite the the, the full benefits okay. um, and i've got to say i still do grow in rows so in my so out of my veg garden i then have a food forest area and in the food forest i still grow in rows um, but it will be exactly as you say. So, so in my row of garlic, I will then have it be punctuated by sweet Sicily, for example. Um, so that although there's a row, it's an interrupted row. Yes. Yeah. Now, sweet Sicily, lovely, lovely uh, for using as, as a sweetener. Um, mm -hmm. But let's go one step further. You keep bees, don't you? I do. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How many hives have you got? There are four hives. And why are you things. laughing? Why are you laughing? Are they, are they a bit of fun? Um, so when I say I keep bees, I'll rephrase that. There are bees uh, on by the farm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we have somebody else who comes in to uh, help tend that apiary because I'm scared of them. <laughs> <laughs> so I can stand in my garden. No problem at all. Absolutely surrounded by bees. Uh, doing you know doing their thing in flowers and buzzing around not a problem as soon as I get anywhere near the hives I just go into a bit of a panic yes <laughs> it must the be seasoned gardener I share a couple of stories uh of of some of the things that have have happened with those bees which kind of explain my fear of some bee story okay well we'll we'll look forward <laughs> to uh, reading those it's almost like uh people have this innate uh fear of this built-in fear of snakes don't they is it mm. is it something you've always had and you can't no. necessarily explain no oh you've no. you've learned you've learned this behavior I've learned this one okay so <laughs> many moons ago i got a bee stuck in my hair and uh and they're loud and they're panicky and they made me panic. <laughs> yeah, yes, I'm sure. And, and from that, uh, I have, I, so we have the bees in my, you know, on the land in the hope that I will learn to tend the bees and, uh, yeah. and, and be fine with them. But it's going to be a very long, slow process, I think. Yeah. So, so at the moment, is it some sort of crop share? Do you get a little bit of honey and they get a bit of your kale or something? I, 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 sorry, does the owner of the bees get a little bit of your kale? Oh, so, no, they're my bees. Oh, they are your bees. Well, they're not yeah. my bees. They're, they're bees' bees. They're their bees, yes. So uh, we've provided the hives. We've provided bees. Um, and uh, so, no, I actually pay him to come and do that okay. as yeah. a task. So, yes. Um, but... He always brings me some honey from his hives in other places. And I always give him some honey from these bees because it's actually quite nice to taste the different honeys. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, it's there's a, there is a, a reciprocity there as well. 
Yeah. Now you you've moved a long way from the River Severn, as you say. Um, are you near a water source? What do you do for water when you're up a hill? Um, there is no shortage of water in West Wales. Um, it falls <laughs> out of the sky. With you get great, it before us, don't you? <laughs> great frequency. Um, <laughs> it's a very wet. It's a very wet. But so we're on the west side of the Wrecken Beacons. We're on the uh, southwest side of the Black Mountain. So we are in, you know, prime spot for getting masses of water. Uh, so there's, you know, there's the opportunity for uh, collecting and saving water like nobody's business. Um, and in fact, I've had to dig. Um, when I say I, I got someone in with a digger. Uh, we we have dug channels uh, around most of the fields to to drain the water off as quickly as possible um, because there is such a volume of water wow. coming okay. down the hill. And in fact, there's so much. It comes down the hill and it goes under the polytunnel, which has got uh, mesh sides on it. So it goes under the picks everything up that's in the polytunnel and washes it to the other side of the polytunnel. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm not going to say every time it rains, but maybe five or six times a winter. Wow. We'll do that. Yeah. Uh, so I've had to put in, in the polytunnel, raised beds that have got kind of very deep sides, or shallow sides one side, deep sides the other, so that the, the soil is then level in them but to just protect um everything in there from the washing through so for example last summer beautifully dry well i wanted to ask about last summer how did you cope um well i didn't water in my polytunnel did i i watered twice through the whole summer in my polytunnel because whenever it rains the water comes down and washes through the polytunnel and it just stayed beautifully moist in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, yeah, we grew amazing tomatoes. It was, you know, I've got a couple of peach trees in there that are doing really, really well. And I really didn't have to water very much. So um, although, although it was very dry, I was really shocked by seeing how other people's gardens were looking and the further uh the further east you went and the further south and my daughter uh lives down in devon and she's sending me photos of her and the children at the park and i thought they were at the beach because the grass was just totally burnt to a crisp and pale and sand colored um and our grass was green and lush <laughs> and when andy the bees came to do the bees he said my car nearly got stuck in the wet ground up there so it had just stayed moist. Amazing. Um, what yeah. a difference. What a difference. Yeah. Liz, um, you've got uh, you've got your YouTube channel. Where can people see you? What, what's that called if people want to track you down? So if you want to track me down, my YouTube channel is called Liz Zorab hyphen by the farm. But if you just type in Liz Zorab, you'll find me. And um, my website is bythefarm.com. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all of those in a combination of Liz Zorab or By the Farm or both. You, you'll get there one way or another. We'll yeah. Get there one way or the other, so, yeah. So your lovely new book, The Seasons Gardener, um, mm -hmm. comes out when? It's out in April in the UK and in May uh, in the USA. Okay, that's good. And your, let's name your publisher. Who's your publisher this time? And it's published by uh, Permanent Publications. Same again. Same, yeah. Same again. Yep. And you can buy the book on my website, uh, online at Waterstones and many other good bookshops. And can people pre-order? 
Absolutely. So you can okay. record a signed copy, uh, pre-order from my website, uh, bythefarm.com, uh, uh, or they can pre-order any other online site, and then you won't get a signed copy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> let's make it clear that By the Farm isn't By the Farm, is it? No, it's By the... By the, By the, B-Y-T-H-E-R, By the Farm, yes. Yeah. Just in case people were saying that, you'd probably still get there one way or another. Um, are, you doing, are you doing a tour? Are you, are you going around do, uh, talking about your book and doing signings? Is that well, organised yet? No, it's not organised. We're just starting to organise that. Yeah. Uh, just starting to get organised with it. So, you know, if anybody wants me to come and uh, tell them why I don't uh, want to play with the bees or, <laughs> <laughs> yes. or a bit more about my garden, yeah, just get in touch. I'd be more than happy to come and talk. Brilliant. Okay, Liz. Well, look, I wish you the best of luck with it. Um, I'm sure you're going to do very well. Just think if every one of your uh, subscribers bought a book or uh, every one of every one of your view viewers on YouTube bought a book. <laughs> now, uh, That'd be lovely. <laughs> yes, you'd definitely be moving again to uh, 40 acres. <laughs> now, thank you. Thank you for your time. Good luck with it. And uh, um, hopefully we'll talk again when, when book number three comes out. Thank you so much, Geoff. Thanks. Thank, thanks a lot. Many thanks, Liz. And just to remind you, The Seasoned Gardener will be available from the 30th of April 2023 and is published by Permanent Publications. I never ask, but I know some of you have been very loyal listeners for some time. If you have the time to leave a review on your podcast app, I'd really appreciate it. Tell a friend, or if you can tag me on Instagram and tell me which part of this episode you enjoyed the most, I'd love to see what you think. I would also love to be able to mention you and your Instagram account in the next show. I can be found at Joff Elphick on Instagram, and my website is joffelphick.co.uk. Go and have a look there. Don't forget to recommend me to your gardening club. I'm travelling most weeks to give my talk crayfish on the lawn, plants, people and natural history. If distance is a problem, I can still entertain your group anywhere on planet Earth through the magic of Zoom. And please, if you haven't yet had a look, pop over to genus.gs and see how you can transform your gardening experience by wearing clothes specifically designed by gardeners for gardeners. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to follow this podcast so you won't miss an episode. And in the meantime, may your secateurs be well honed, your garden abundant and rewarding, and your life enhanced by the advice, enthusiasm, and methods that Liz so skillfully demonstrates. I'll see you next time. <laughs>